This is State of Water. This is State of this Water. This is State of Water. This is State of Water. State of Water coming at you right now. State of Water, a podcast focusing on clean water issues and their relationship to policy, equity, community, and climate. Featuring captivating interviews with Michiganders from many walks of life, State of Water is the official podcast of the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan, a program of the nonprofit organization Title Track. Hey, this is Jenny from Title Track. If you resonate with what you're about to hear, put those feelings into action. Take the first step toward getting involved by going to titletrackmichigan.org slash contact to sign up for our mailing list. Welcome back, friends. Thanks for lending your ears. In this episode of State of Water, we feature a wonderful conversation between State of Water host Seth Bernard and Hans Voss, Executive Director of the Groundwork Center for Resilient Communities. Hans goes back to 1995, telling the origin story of the Michigan Land Use Institute before it became Groundwork, and sharing about some of the early success stories, coalition building, and collaboration that has led the organization to do so much as they seek to protect the environment, strengthen our economy, and build thriving communities. They just released their 2023 annual report, and we'll link to that in the show notes. Make sure you check out all the wonderful ways that they are engaging programming within climate and environment, local food and farming, as well as transportation and community design. Special shout out to Hans and the Groundwork family for their early support of the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan as we got off the ground, and they continue to be an inspiring and nurturing force within the nonprofit community in Michigan and beyond. So, Hans, it's always great to connect with you in any context. Right on. Um, and we've, we've got quite a lot of history. You know, your presence looms large in my life with my family and, and here in our community. Mm-hmm. And, and Groundwork, formerly Michigan Land Use Institute, Currently, Groundwork is an organization that, that towers tall in the nonprofit communities in Michigan. Incredible work that spans across a lot of sectors. And um, we've talked about the work of Groundwork in previous episodes and some of the organizations that you've helped incubate MyCan, Great Lakes Business Network, um, Taste the Local Difference, the Clean Water Campaign itself have been. Um, very integral to the work, the work and the life of Title Track. So it's a great pleasure to talk to you here. And what I thought of for this podcast is for you to tell this story of the origins of the organization. So I want our listeners to know that a few years ago, Hans came with me on a trip to Detroit where I had a gig and we went out and got some food, but we had a lot of hours on I-75 to talk. Mm-hmm. And somewhere between Detroit and Zilwaukee, I got the in-depth story oh. of this, the, the battle, you know, you and Keith Schneider 
this is this is like early 90s, right? Mid 90s, yep. Mid 90s. Okay. So to me this story has so many elements of success in it. And I feel like it's a really relevant story at any time and, and to people who are, you know, maybe newer to the work of like being fully invested in movement work and activism in campaigns, I feel like could benefit a lot from hearing about this. And also just recognizing that this was like a really scrappy, created, dedicated and sustained campaign that started from scratch. And, and, and really took a long time to get where it was headed. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's a really hopeful story. Mm-hmm. And it's hopeful in and of itself, but it also is it's truly, it's the origin of what has become a mighty organization mm-hmm. that touches the lives of millions of people. Mm-hmm. So I would love to just pass the mic over to you and just take your time. Okay. You know? Is that all right? That's right. That's good. I appreciate the, the kind, kind of framework around that. Cool. Um, already, I'm a little touched. But yeah, I can certainly uh, um, take a whirl at the story. It's quite a story, and it is the origin story. And out of the work we did then grew the values that guide us today. So I think it is something that... Um, as it's, one interesting thing about me, though, is I'm... I'm uh, not one that often looks backward. So sometimes I people ask me, tell me the story, and I don't always tell it. So I'm happy to tell it here. I'll tell Good. it to the best of my ability. So um, yeah, the uh, origin of the Michigan Land Institute was in 94, 95. And it was um, the, the issue that catalyzed our, our um, creation was natural gas drilling in the northern lower peninsula of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't, it was a different type of natural gas drilling called Antrim Shale natural gas, which had uh, a lot more surface impact and damage because there were many more wells uh, drilled in a smaller space because in previous oil development uh, eras, they wouldn't have even bothered to, to go for this natural gas. Um, but there was a new federal tax credit that sort of subsidized uh, clean burning fuels, you know, in the mid 90s. So natural gas went on a boom. There were more natural gas wells drilled in northern lower Michigan in the 90s than any other place in the country. Mm. There was 4,000 wells drilled mostly on state-owned land, which I'll, I'll address a little later on with the story, but uh, then, then anywhere. So it was a real uh, kind of wild west but here in Michigan, and the, the state regulators were not uh, set up to, to oversee it. Um, mm. There was no, uh, not, not a proper permitting, permitting process for waste. There, there was literally, uh, with all the gathering lines and pipelines that are part of it, they were trenching across trout streams that were, you know, blue ribbon trout streams where, you know, significant work had been done to prevent soil erosion. Mm-hmm. Under certain laws, there were no laws governing the, the uh, development of oil and gas. So the, the uh, permitting structure, the legal structure was in place. It was mid-90s, John Engler was the governor, the newly formed DEQ didn't have much interest. So we, this group of uh, environmentalists, farmers, conservationists, hunters, pretty broad-based coalition got together and said, we need to uh, reform oil and gas uh, development oversight in Michigan. 
I'm 25 years old. Mm. I'm like, well, that sounds great, I'm in. Mm-hmm. None of it would have happened without Keith Schneider, the founder of the organization who, in the years leading up to that, was the national correspondent for, national environmental correspondent for the New York Times. So he was uh, savvy about what made a successful environmental campaign. Because at that time, in the mid-90s, there weren't that many successful environmental campaigns. So he brought in uh, a perspective about how to be successful in coalition building and environmental advocacy, which was very broad coalitions with diverse partners, focused on a common goal, uh, a strong communications element where you told the story that, that inspired people to get involved and you, you did the research to bring forward specific facts that were well well researched and, and irrefutable. And, um, you know, town hall meetings and letter writing campaigns and we had champions in the business community, which was also a key uh, part of our making the economic message that, that better oil and gas development oversight was, was not only good for the environment but good for the economy, which remains one of our you know, core messages about how we get things done. Mm-hmm. Um, to come with very specific solutions, um, not to say no. We didn't say no on the gas drilling. We said, you know, we have to do a better job managing its impact. And um, and the, and I was kind of tossed into the. I jumped in. I wasn't tossed uh, into the like, coalition side of things. So we had a. Uh, probably 50 groups involved with the Michigan Energy Reform Coalition. We had our own letterhead, we had all the groups lined up, and they were traditional environmental groups like Michigan Environmental Council, Tippett Watershed Council, a lot of, lot of like, strong environmental groups, but also Trout Unlimited, Anglers of the Osable, you know, hardcore conservation fishing advocates, river advocates. We had um, township government that felt that they, they were not being uh, fairly treated by the oil and gas industry. And it was that experience as a younger person kind of getting to know and building real relationships with, with farmers, with uh, hunters, with people that, you know, probably voted differently than me and, you know, lived differently than me and bringing them together around a very specific goal of let's make sure we're not allowing oil and gas development to happen in a way that would leave a, a, a trail of damage. And and it was kind of funny because the other environmental groups were like, have at it, y'all, because, you know, good luck, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, between Keith's, you know, Vision and Moxie and my, you know, naivete, and mm. and just a, a certain sense of like it was so bad mm-hmm. that we felt, you know, not unlike Line Five, which you know, kind of is a few decades down the line, mm-hmm. where you you see something that's like, oh my God, we have to fix this. We need to organize and come up with a better plan. Yeah, it had that sense of urgency that Line Five had, and a lot of people were being affected by it because. The oil industry at that time was like leasing people's minerals in a way that uh, people who owned land didn't always know what they were signing. And so we did workshops in communities across northern Michigan, like how to lease your minerals and make sure you're protecting your rights, you're getting paid fairly, and you're reducing environmental harm. And that was pretty uh, real for people. Like people would show up. We'd have town hall meetings where we brought uh, kind of information about best practices with leasing. Mm-hmm. And we'd have hundreds of people showing up that were like, mm-hmm. you know, waiting to sign a lease but wanted to learn about their rights first. Mm-hmm. And that, as you would imagine, you know, um, 
the oil industry wasn't too happy with us doing that. And then we had bigger debates about um, you know river protection and lag land fragmentation. And there's a um, great history in Michigan, the Pigeon River area um, uh, hydrocarbon development plan, Pigeon River uh, State Forest, you know, east of I-75 near Gaylord, where they had done this. They had done a very specialized planning process to protect the natural resources and allow some development. And we used that as a model. We, we should take that same high uh, standards with anything that happens on, particularly on our state forests, which are public resources. Jim Olson was a founding board member of the uh, Michigan Land Institute, who, as you know, but maybe not everyone knows, you know, helped to write the Michigan Environmental Protection Act and was one of the you know, great environmental heroes and legal minds of Michigan. Helped us, you know, put the public trust in the center of our, our discussion about the, the state's responsibility to protecting, you know, publicly owned natural resources. So, um, you know, we had great support from um, kind of outgoing or former DNR officials. Mm -hmm. You know, the Department of Natural Resources in the 70s under Milliken uh, led the way nationally for state-level conservation programs that had mm -hmm. implemented some of the, the groundbreaking environmental laws that, that Jim Olson and others helped to pass. Um, and they were frustrated because all of a sudden there's this new DEQ, Department of Environmental Quality, that was kind of a permitting machine that lost its way from the tradition of Michigan's conservation history. So former uh, DNR officials would call us and get involved and help us kind of navigate the political thicket in Lansing, which was beautiful. We had great uh, uh, state elected officials that were on our side. Bilbo Beer, I don't know if you remember yeah. that. Oh, Bilbo, Bilbo. Beer from Hesperia. Friend of the you know, family. He was a real champion. The guy went yeah. to the mat on this stuff. And so it was... So that's another part of this recipe. Yeah. You know, you've got the broad coalition. Yeah. You've got journalism with integrity. Yep. Storytelling, messaging, yep. ongoing yep. engagement with that. But then sympathetic lawmakers yep. and people that are it currently or formerly engaged yeah. in government. Yeah. Yeah. So Bilbo Bilbo Beer. Yeah. Yeah. And and we had um, constituency, yeah. right? That's yeah. We put a lot of pressure on Bilbo Beer and on, you know, other uh, elected officials and um, we, it was, you know, in many ways it was traditional grassroots organizing. It was rallies at the Capitol, letter writing, a lot of communications, a lot. We, we created, uh, out of almost nothing, there was some work done on these issues before we organized this coalition, but it was pretty quiet. We yeah. made it one of the top issues in Michigan, and our little scrappy coalition, barely funded, you know, ragtag group was right going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the very prosperous oil and gas industry with the paid lobby group and mm -hmm. you know, who were way more you know influential in the capital from from the you know countryside of northern Michigan and from all these different voices we matched them and we were you know I remember I wrote a piece in the in the uh, Detroit Free Press that was like me young kid, you know, and the, the chairman of the Michigan Oil and Gas Association, you know, about, you know, which way should we go with the future of natural gas development? So just the fact that we were having that debate was an achievement. I remember we had a, a, a public hearing in Hillman, which is over 
you know, near the Pigeon River area, pretty small town. We were in like the high school, and um, you know, there must have been 800 people in there. And it was the oil guys on one land, and they think they were all men. I don't use that term, you know, in a sexist way, but they seemed like they were all dudes. Yeah. And um, and it was like, you know, the, the anglers and the hunters and me mm-hmm. and Keith, and, and we were just having a public forum. And it was um, one of the dicier experiences I've had because mm-hmm. you could just feel the intensity on both sides. And it was, it was civil. We were always civil. We always treated any other you know, um, other voices with respect. And that was another thing that has always stayed with us as an organization. But it was, you know, the people were charged in the audience. And mm. it was kind of like, are we going to get out of here okay? I mean, wow. it, was, it was a little dicey. Yeah. But uh, that was, you know, not always the case. Uh, but I remember, you know, at, at to the point of like making it a big deal. I think it was 1998. Could have been a different year. It was about that time. And John Angler, the governor, who was an oil guy from Mount Pleasant, mm-hmm. uh, made a speech, his state of the state of speech in the beginning of the year. And he said, like, right up top when he got to the environment, he made a personal pledge that there will be no uh, natural gas wells drilled in the Jordan River Valley State Forest as long as I'm governor. And we were like, I remember looking at Keith like, are you kidding me? Governor Angler just like endorsed this thing that we had been saying for three years yeah. straight because that was the sort of uh, flagship fight, you know. Yes. Hey, we can do oil and gas development. We, I use oil. I drove here. You know, let's all be reasonable about the, about the fact that our economy, even more so at that time, was dependent on, on oil and gas. But we have to do it in a way that doesn't harm the future of our natural resources. And if there's one place that we ought to protect, it's the Jordan River Valley, yeah. right? Yeah. And, uh, and it was interesting because when Wasn't I was the ensemble part of that conversation. Yep, yep. And Friends of the Jordan, John Richter, I don't know if you ever met that fantastic yeah. guy who's passed away, and all these good conservation people. When I was a college kid at MSU, it was the Jordan River where I kind of fell in love with nature. I would just drive up wow. and go fishing in the Jordan. Day. Yeah. So, yeah, don't mess with the Jordan. Yeah, man. <laughs> no doubt. So, so and, and that's. That in itself, that moment of Engler talking about it in his state of the state yeah. address, I think, you know, that's that exemplifies something that I think people need to remember <coughs> is that we're not always appealing to the moral courage of an elected leader or their ability yeah. to know what the right thing is. Sometimes we're appealing, we are forcing their hand in order for them to have a political future or to have a favor of their base. They need to move in a direction that popular movements and grassroots coalitions can yeah. push them in. And it's like, Engler, that was not his idea. No. But you moved the needle, your coalition moved the needle on a, you know, regional level to yeah. the point where the governor has to put, you, you put the words in his mouth for him to have a political future. And that's huge. That's profound. Yeah, I think that was, you know, kind of a, you know, unusually fantastic example. Yeah. Like, I'll celebrate that for the, all my days, you know, um, of and, like, of like an upstart, you know, coalition right. breaking into the center of the state of the state with the governor who two years previously, I hadn't even heard of that issue. Like, it, that's, right. that's pretty unique. But it's interesting when you raise that, Seth, because, you know, I see it all the time today. Yeah with elected officials who want to do the right thing, mm-hmm. but don't have that constituency behind them. 
Right. Exactly. So even if you're aligned, you know. Yes. Like Gretchen Whitmer needs to have people supporting her leadership on climate policy. Like it's crucial. It's crucial. So exactly. we need to do that at the city hall, you know. Mm-hmm. Can you please show up for this and get some people out? Because I'm about to go strong on a housing issue and I need some support here. In right. The, in the human body. So yeah. the, it's basic constituent pressure and you have to do it, you know, with a governor like John Engler who had no real interest in that matter to mm-hmm. people who are on your side. You have to show up and support your elected officials whether they agree with yeah. you or not. That's right. Yeah. So you get it to that point, but what else is, how else are things moving? You're a few years into it. Yep. What's going on with, with policy, like with Bill Beer. Yeah, we had some good legislation uh, passed in, in Lansing. A uh, Beer championed something called the State Land Reserve Act and put Ludington State Park in it. Because the issue, I don't want to get into the deep issues, but sometimes the state owns the surface land but not the minerals beneath. So there's right. a property rights debate there. Um, so the, the, you know, but the permit for a well on the surface should uh, comply with standards that don't harm the environment. So there's a legal discussion and uh, some legislation was passed that clarified the state-owned surface land responsibilities for permitting and said certain lands shouldn't be, shouldn't be uh, harmed. Mm-hmm. So that was one piece. The uh, DEQ eventually did rewrite the, the regulations and that was a major achievement, you know, and there was a task force and we were pushing that forward and had advocates on the task force and you know improved basic permitting and and regulations Mm -hmm. um and you know and the natural gas industry just fine did fine you know they've got plenty of production from these wells and um there was a there was also one of the big breakthroughs we had in those early days was making sure the state was paid fairly for the royalties on state lands right which was going into the natural resources trust fund which is a crucial funding source for land conservation mm-hmm. in michigan and um there we uncovered that they weren't their leases were had some holes in them and mm-hmm. were, uh, they, they weren't collecting the, the amount of money they needed to on state land so we helped to put tens of millions of dollars of recovered money back into the uh oh, the state wow. I didn't fund. know that yeah, it was a really big deal. That's amazing. That was Key Schneider in rare form wow. investigation. So that's a peripheral victory. Yeah. It was huge. Yeah. And that, you know, that made a lot to a lot of different uh, groups that we were working with. And um, and then over time, you know, um, we kind of found a, a, a sustainable path and uh-huh. and, and uh, the urgency and the edges were kind of filed down and things got, got on course and, you know, we turned our sites towards renewables. <laughs> you know, let's promote yeah. the solution. Right. We were really in business to do better oil and gas development. We were in business to transition to clean energy. So we kind of moved along with the, the trajectory of the issue. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. What about the Bill Schuette meeting? Ah! <laughs> I must have told you that one. Can you tell me that one? <laughs> well, Bill Schuette... Um, was kind of a major player in the in the Michigan political scene. Um, he was a state senator at the time, really bright guy. Um, he went on to be the attorney general, and I think he ran for governor. You know, real solid conservative guy. And I remember this meeting. It was one of those highlight career moments. I must have been like 27, you know, just mm-hmm. all in, you know. Didn't know what I didn't know. 
didn't care, didn't, I wasn't afraid of anything. I was just at it, you know. And we were with a, we had a group of like, you know, the guy from Michigan United Conservation Clubs, the Angels of the Ensemble, all these like grown-ups, you know. We had sat in a meeting with Bill Schuette and some of his staff about we wanted to promote this, this land conservation around environmental issues and oil and gas development. And uh, we had a meeting, you know, I was like, okay, we had a meeting. I had no idea whether what we were saying was landing or not. I had a feeling we weren't going too well. And he, um, he says, uh, okay, well, thanks everyone. Pleasant, cordial meeting, you know. And I'm like, well, I don't know, how do we do? I wasn't clear what was happening. And then he goes, uh, Hans, can you stick around for a minute? I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, we can get some business done here. Uh -huh. And he just gave me a little lecture on how to be effective on the in, uh, and advocacy. It was sort of a double message of like, you know, uh, be careful who you're partnering with here. And, you know, and you're a bright young kid, I think you're gonna make something happen, just stay on the right course. You know, it was some kind of, I don't know what it was, but it was a little bit of a, a little threatening, a little supportive. I was just kind of like, what's going on? So that's wow. All, you know. wow. There's another part of the story too, and this maybe happened years later, but one of the oil and gas developers that yeah. was that you were head to head with, yeah. you kind of ran into him down the line yeah. randomly yeah. and had to like talk to each other, right? What was yeah, that story? that was a funny one. I'll leave his name out of it because it's not necessary to the story. Sure. But, uh, it was uh, 10 years later and um, I'm knocking around town here in Traverse City, you know, doing my thing. You know, probably listening to music or, you know, I don't know, thinking about some random topic. And I go to a coffee shop and there's one of the key leaders of the Oil and Gas Association that we were, you know, head to head with for many years. You know, I spent a lot of time with this guy and I always had a lot of respect for him. And uh, I was like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, everything good? You know, we good, are we? You know? Cost the guy a lot of money. Probably. Yeah, I think so. Um, and he says, oh, yeah, he was real friendly. I was like, well, that, cool. I appreciated that. You know, yeah. none of this was ever personal, ever. Right. It's just not who I am, it's not the values of our work. We always respected that these were hardworking people, <laughs> you know, following the rules. The rules weren't good enough and they were trying to make a profit and they were they were developing gas and oil and many of them cared about the environment. Like, we weren't that far apart, so. Yeah. Um, but they also wish we went away. And I, I bumped into this person and he said, hey, how you been? I'm like, oh, I'm doing great. He goes, you know, Hans, that was a real David and Goliath, uh, battle we had back then. I'm thinking, yeah, it was, you know. He goes, oh, I felt like, we thought in the oil industry, like, we were Dave and you all were Goliath. And I laugh, and I call Keith, I'm like, yo, man, you need to hear this, and we still laugh about that. That's amazing. So, we, you know, it was, a, it was you know, back to the sort of um, penetrating journalism and a platform of communications that broke through the, the um, you know, the sort of all the information out there. We were able to craft a, a message that mattered, that tied it to people's lives and to what they cared about. And that's where I think the, the sort of size and influence of our coalition really kind of went beyond what, what one would have expected on an environmental campaign. So when you have a New York Times journalist writing mm -hmm. his heart out on 
the issues and getting in every media outlet we could, including we were you know, one of the first web-based groups out there. Real quick on, on the mm -hmm. This was 1995, 96. Mm -hmm. The internet's a little bit fresh, right? Totally. We really used it. We had a team of writers, editors. Mm -hmm. You know, we were a news desk. Mm -hmm. What's the latest issue on oil and gas and then other issues as we grew? So I think, you know, it's one of the things that a lot of environmental groups, for whatever reason, sometimes the lack of capacity or resources, just don't have the capacity to get the message out and keep up, uh, keep it up. And so yeah. it's something that we've tried to do in our organization. And, you know, it's also about building constituency. Like, I don't want to switch topics, but, <clears throat> you know, a few years back, we uh, helped Michigan create one of the best farm-to-school funding programs anywhere in the country. Yeah, 10 cents a meal. 10 cents a meal, man. And, you know, every school kid in Michigan has access to a Michigan-grown, more Michigan food in their, in their lunch. And it's funded $9.3 million from the state legislature every year. And it's yeah. a wild success. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't as adversarial. There wasn't a, you know, mm -hmm. enemy. Right. But, uh, there was a real challenge to break through some of the bureaucracy that prevented local food from, from the uh, school lunchrooms. And we used the same tradition of just great journalism, raising awareness and organizing and letter writing and, you know, the principles that, that we've learned. And demonstrating the benefit to the kids and to the farmers and to public health and the communities. Right. Broad coalition. Broad coalition. Cross party lines. Love it. I mean, we yeah. were on the AM radio, conservative talk shows, talking about the benefits to farms and why, how is it that our kids don't know where their food comes from anymore? I mean, yeah. that crosses any political boundary. Absolutely. So, it's, you know, it's about uh, the right issue, but also the right message on the right issue that we want. Yeah. And consistent messaging, great leadership. Yeah. Diane Connors. Diane Connors. What a rock star. Once, once she said to her, she said, uh, uh, I think I can say this to the public because, you know, she's retired. <laughs> uh, she was doing all this, like, talk radio circuit, you know, talking about in rural communities about the future of agriculture and farms and access to local food. And, and she was doing great. She had all these conservative lawmakers, you know, right behind her. Ten Cents a Meal was championed by conservatives from rural Michigan. And then she was on the talk shows, and then she told me one day that one of the elected legislators said to her, Diane, you've become a darling of the right wing. And we were like, yes! Great. That's great. So, yeah. Yeah. Totally. You know, growing our own food, community resilience. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, it's inspiring in all these different ways. But when I look at the fact that you decided this was worth your time, you know, that's a, that's a turning point for our whole state. Because we don't have Michigan Land Use Institute, we don't have Groundwork Center for Resilient Communities at all, mm -hmm. if you don't think, well, this is worthwhile, even though it's going to be difficult, yeah. even though there's a chance that it doesn't succeed. And that clarity of purpose, I think, like you said, it's like, okay, we're going to... Our intention is to build a broad coalition, but it's a laser-focused goal. You know, the goal is to l mitigate harm to our watersheds and, and to our precious trout streams and this yeah. water wonderland yeah. in the midst of this emergent threat of just oil and gas exploration that didn't have any guardrails on it yeah. at the time. Yeah. And I think that 
you know, being willing to having the having the audacity in some ways to say we're going to take this on, yeah. was like a was a point where that sort of courage became contagious to other people. That hopefulness yeah. became contagious, and it opened the door for a whole organization to be formed that has gone on to do tremendous work it's in in so many ways. Like I said, touch the lives of millions of people, and and that work continues. And we'll catch up later on this year mm-hmm. to All talk right, more great. about the future. Great, great. But I'm wondering if there's anything else since we're like reflecting on the past and the yeah. origins. Any other parts of this story of, of the beginning of the organization that you want to share? Um, thanks, Seth. I appreciate all that, man. Yeah, I have such insight into these things. Um, you know, I think I, I've often been struck by the people who step forward that don't have to. You mm. know, um, you know, business people who might may be safer for them to step back, but they step forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember like Jim McGinnis from Crystal Mountain, you know, yeah. running a successful business in Betsy County, and he was one of our earliest endorsers. I'm with you. How can I help? Mm-hmm. It means a lot when you're just a startup group. Uh, former uh, DNR director Howard Tanner, you know, guy's a hero in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Unless you don't like salmon in the in the in the lakes, that's he was the guy that brought the, the salmon to the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. I like the salmon, so but he was a real conservation leader, and he would do he work hard for us. He would stand up and testify, you know, at the National Resources Commission. Former DNR director, shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of environmentalists, and farmers, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Helen Milliken, you know, um, one of the great conservation leaders ever in this state. Yeah. Governor Milliken, just two fantastic people that would would volunteer to help, you know. And it, I mean, we were just humbled uh, over and over again by the uh, people who just drove to Lansing and showed up at a rally, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, our success was just completely based on the commitment of people and the willingness to show up and organize and mm-hmm. you know we've, we felt like we just gave them a platform to get their voices out and that that still happens you know I mean our organization and everything we've done is just about the beautiful people that show up yeah we're, we're just sort of you know opening the doors up but it's the mm-hmm. it's the partners and the individuals and the advocates that just that I, I've come to know and love you know I've been doing this for almost 30 years and I've like some of my greatest relationships are just great people who care and I'm, that inspires me totally you know like when yeah. you said something like when did you know or like how did you decide that this was real we decided it was real we looked around the room and saw the commitment in everyone else's face mm. and that's that's really inspiring I still am inspired by it I love I, and I, I love when people call me and they you know light me up on the phone I'm like wow you know yeah. thanks for calling yeah, you know, like people, people care, you know, and um, and I appreciate people who go a little further, especially when you have something to lose, you know. Like the Great Lakes Business Network is two hundred companies that are frontline advocates on environmental issues in Michigan, that you know are committed to the point where they put their business's name out there. I yeah. love that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think um, those are the things that stand out about how we made it, you know, how we got through. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Key Schneider's uh, incredible creative talent and drive was a major factor. None of this conversation is happening without his 
his work ethic and his just savvy, you know, leadership. It was incredible. Um, but it was also the, the partners that, that jumped in that gave us the, the spirit to carry on. And, you know, for that, it's just an endless gratitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that. You know, I, I felt that at the beginning of the Clean Water Campaign when we had this vision and, and you guys took us seriously and, and helped support the creation of the Clean Water Campaign even before Title Track was yeah. formed. Who were the nonprofits that you took seriously that, that gave you, put wind in your sails by taking you seriously at the beginning? Oh, that's great. Uh, Michigan Environmental Council, mm-hmm. love them. Yeah. Lana Pollock. It's a real hero for, for, for me and for, I think, for many people in Michigan. I don't know if you hung with her much. Um, no. She was really a great leader. Uh, there's a group in Chicago called the Environmental Law and Policy Center, mm. a really legit uh, environmental policy group that, that supported us. Um, you know, uh, a lot of those conservation groups, you know, I think, I think, uh, the, the, the environmental community is, is diverse, you know, and changes over time, but some of the, the long-standing groups were, were then in our partners today, and that's just really meaningful. Yeah. yeah. So you're a birder. Yeah, man. Um, we're in the warbler room here. You're in the warbler room. <laughs> um, any, any new birds added to your list recently? <clears throat> well, um... Yeah, man, I'm always on the hunt. The um, uh, surf scoter is a little duck. It's fun. Uh, we're here, you know, one of the lakes right out there, and there's you see those big, see those big flocks of birds out there, ducks. The redheads and scops that come down from Canada in the in the in the winter time where they can find open water, and and there's probably 500 out there. One of them, a little little bit smaller, with a little white dot was not a, a redhead or a scot, it was a surf scoter. So you had to sit out there with a scope and look at every bird. So Lucy and I did that uh, just a few days back and we found the uh, rare bird that we were pretty thrilled about. Ooh. Only because other better birders tell us that you gotta go, there. he's there now, go check it out. So I've learned that birding is a team sport. You gotta rely on the, the nice. experts. And there's a lot of experts around here and um, one of my goals is to spread the joy of birding, so. Beautiful. Yeah. What, what's your go-to app? Uh, well, uh, the Merlin app is incredible. Okay. Maybe you know about this, but you can listen to a, a song and it will tell you what, what you're listening to. Mm. Which is not cheating, it's okay. Uh, there's one called iBird Pro, which I use, and then eBird, I think, is one of the up there with YouTube and Spotify for the greatest uses of the internet ever <laughs> made, man. It's eBird. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, you mentioned Spotify, so. Let's talk music. You're a music fan, you know, mm-hmm. growing up in Chicago. You've seen a lot of the greats over the years. Yeah. What are you listening to lately? And what are like a couple really great concerts that you've been to in, in recent years? Well, um, well, um, you know, I like to I like to go back. I like to go I like to go back in time for stuff I missed and I like to find new music that's around right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I keep a close eye on local spins, which tunes me up to what's going on in Michigan. I think nice. he hooked me up with them initially. Love, love local spins, man. I'm He's a former environmental correspondent. Uh, yeah, I heard yeah. about that. I'm yeah. about that with him once. So, 
So I love the, mission, the, the mission, new Michigan bands I'm learning about, but what I listen to mostly these days is what I missed when I was a kid, which is Led Zeppelin. So wow. about two years ago, I decided to take a look at Led Zeppelin, and my mind has been blown ever since. And wow. My wife would like me to listen to something else, so I do. We do a lot of bomba music because we're going to Puerto Rico next week, nice. and there's a lot of great music, uh, reggaeton and, and bomba music. So uh, my tastes are all over the map, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm open-minded. I love growing. Yeah. I, I like to, when you when you heard a band like Led Zeppelin that when you were a kid thought, well, that's not cool. I'd rather listen to punk music or reggae music, and then you get back to them and like, wow, I actually love them. So my mind is mm. my goal is to keep my mind open with music. Um, a good show that I saw, one the first thing that popped in my mind was uh, when I was at the New Orleans Jazz Festival recently and Ziggy Marley did a set, and maybe you heard about this, where he did a whole tour and played straight Bob Marley music, mm. and all Bob, and I mean it was one of the most moving and beautiful things I've ever seen. I wow. cried, cried basically the whole time. Beautiful. So, yeah. Oof. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Seth. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. appreciate you and all the good work you're doing. And right back. So grateful for your like support yeah. and guidance and, and uh, inspiration through the years. Right yeah. And uh, it's safe travels and, and, you know, wish you all the best with groundwork and we'll catch up maybe in the fall. Okay. Sounds like yeah. a date. I'm in. All right. Thank you, brother. Yeah, right on. Water is powered by the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan. This campaign represents an opportunity to help place clean water issues front and center by partnering with environmental organizations across the state, by educating voters, and by urging every candidate running for public office to make a strong stand on critical issues affecting Michigan's waters. Using storytelling and music events across the state to amplify the groundswell of public support for clean water issues, this campaign is driven by Michiganders from all walks of life who share a similar priority, protection of our water. Both State of Water and the Clean Water Campaign are programs of the Michigan-based nonprofit Title Track. Their mission, engaging creative practice to build resilient social ecological systems that support clean water, racial equity, and youth empowerment.